Luke chapter 6, in our series of uh, culturally or counterculture Jesus, he says these words in Luke 6, starting in verse 27. The words will be on the screen, and it'll be different than when I read to you, and that's okay. We will survive. I don't have an ESV that I own yet, but that's, I think, what is showing on the screen. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Parents, anybody, you ever use that with your kid? You didn't know it was in the context of loving your enemies, did you? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what good is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the reading of God's Holy Word. Let us have a word of prayer before this morning's message. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Irritating words from Jesus, aren't they? I mean, let's be honest. Church is a good place to be honest. Sometimes people get nervous about lying to me because I'm a pastor and apparently I wield some amazing powers to strike people dead or blind or deaf or something which I don't, it'd be cool though, wouldn't it? I'd probably abuse that power. Might be why I don't have it. I also have no magic formulation to get you into heaven. I've got no special draw on heaven for rain or any other of those kinds of things. So just so you know. But this is a place we need to be honest and tell ourselves and be honest with God and with ourselves, we don't like these verses. Love your enemies. Right? We can hardly stand people we like sometimes. We can hardly get along with people who we call family sometimes. I mean, we don't even get into the category of enemy yet. Sometimes they do. But most of the family is family. Love your enemy. I don't like these words. I've hated this week of study. Been miserable. Part of it is because, and I'm going to speak to you because some of you are Christian skeptics like me. Some of you are skeptics. And one of the things that we don't appreciate or actually acknowledge much in our lives is the supernatural. I mean, we acknowledge enough of the supernatural to be a Christian. We acknowledge there's a God. 
That's supernatural. He's outside of nature. He's in nature, but he's outside of it. He's he's beyond, supersedes, supernatural. We believe in a virgin birth, which is supernatural, can't happen normally. Because you got to believe that to be about Jesus. We believe in angels because they make good figures at Christmas time. We believe in demons, sort of, because Jesus cast them out at times. But even that, we're, we wrestle because it sounds like, ah, that's just epilepsy. And ah, that's just some kind of mental illness. So maybe the ancient people called those demons when they really were just kind of physical problems. And Jesus went along with them because they weren't as smart as him. But if you read the Bible, and I challenge you, read the Bible, start in the very beginning, you'll, you'll find some stuff in there that's weird. And if it's weird, it's important. You'll find things that talk about spiritual beings, angels, demons. Actually, the word demon only appears twice in the Old Testament. But there's other words that describe malevolent beings, spirit beings in the Old Testament. There's all sorts of strange supernatural stuff that happens. And most Christian skeptics like me, we believe just enough to tick the boxes so we get in. Then you have a week or a month like the Weingoop family did. Where it felt like everything we did, we just kept banging our head against stuff that was frustrating and maybe even sinister and perhaps even evil. People keep getting sick. Stuff falls on folks. Dentist procedures don't go as planned. Stuff keeps happening where you're like, this has got some kind of force behind it. It doesn't feel normal. But I'm a Christian skeptic, so I'm not quite sure what to do with it. I kept reading the Bible. Kept struggling through things. Kept feeling like there was evil in my life that was being thrust upon me from outside of me, outside of you. It's just a strange thing. Didn't know what to do with it. And then you watch the news. You see supercharged evil in places like Iraq and Syria with this entity called ISIS or ICE, the Islamic State. I think they've shortened it now. And they continue to go through those places this summer, they went to people's homes and they put the Aramaic letter N on people's homes in red. The letter N for Nazarene. Folks who followed the Nazarene. They went to people's houses in villages and they spray painted an N on their home to identify Christians. And they gave him a choice, become Muslim or die or leave. The thousands of Christians fled. Thousands of others died. Look at us. What do we think of that? Joel Rosenberg, who moved his family on purpose a choice they made. They moved from the U.S. to Israel 
to Jerusalem because he's Jewish. He immigrated to Israel as a citizen and took his family with him so that they could be in the very center of what is going on in world history today. And he wrote a blog post calling out the church saying, where are you church? Talking about the persecuted brothers and sisters in Jesus who have beaten you to heaven. Where are you? Where are you pastors? Because you've been silent. I was kicked in the mouth. Maybe that explains this. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And the Persecuted Church, it has ramped up. There are people dying for the name of Christ all over this world. And we get a little upset when we can't have the Ten Commandments someplace. We get a little mad when the wrong candidate wins. And what's wrong with us? Look at this passage. I put it on the screen to help you see some of the things that Jesus is saying. It's color-coded for us, this next slide, because that's, that's not it. Um, <laughs> I have this Bible software, and one of the things it can do is it can highlight verbs for me because I'm slow and I need help. And it can show me what tense different verses are in because it's really important. You see, Greek is this cool language that none of you care about. But the thing that Greek can do is it can do things that English can't. And it can show you what word is a command by the tense of the verb it uses. It can show you all sorts of things that are going on. (coughs) And so someday... When technology allows us, I don't know what's going on back there. Maybe I got to skip that part. This is God's will. Jesus gives us four commands in this passage. The first one is love. The next one, I got to find him here, is bless. The next one is give, or excuse me, pray. And the next one is give. Those are all commands in this passage. Now, remember how he started this out. This is just for those who have ears to hear. This is just for those who want to hear what Jesus has to say about the issue. This is just for those who go, ah, yeah, I kind of care about what Jesus has to say. The rest of you, if you don't care about that, you don't have to listen to this part. And better, you don't even have to follow it. But if you care about what Jesus has to say and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a disciple, if you call yourself somebody who wants to be like Jesus, you need to listen and follow these commands. Love. Bless. Pray. Give. And who did he say that is towards? Your wife? Sometimes when she's the enemy. There's been movies about that, sleeping with the enemy, right? Children? Sometimes it feels like enemy. No, this is ISIS. Muslims. Last night, my kids and I went to 7-Eleven. I'm preaching a little with an edge today. I'm sorry about that. My tooth hurts. We went to 7-Eleven, and there was an Indian man. Das is his name. He works there. 
He used to serve in the U.S. military. He traveled around the world, saw a lot of things. We ordered some pizza. We waited for it to be ready. Other customers came in and out. We'd already paid for our pizza. Das handed it to me. I said, thank you, sir. There's an old curmudgeon farmer in there. He's like, sir? Like it was wrong to call an Indian man, sir? Like it was below me and white guy? In righteous indignation, I clocked the guy. Actually, I couldn't because I've been reading this passage all week long. <laughs> I got in the car with my kids and I said, children, don't be a racist pig. No excuse. If you're sitting in here and you're a racist pig, stop it. This says, love your enemies. See, one of the things I told my kids on the way home, I said, we're going to be minorities in heaven. We are already minorities as Christians in this world. The power of Christianity continues to move. The power center moves. It used to be in Jerusalem. No longer there. Why? Because of persecution. And it left and it moved to Alexandria, where is, which is where? Egypt. How many Christians are in Egypt nowadays? Do you think of Egypt as a Christian nation? And from there, it moved to Rome, and it stayed there for a really long time. From there, it moved to the West, to the U.S., Now it's left here. It's gone south. It's gone south to South America. It's gone to Africa. It's gone to China and the Far East. And when you get to heaven, you will be a minority. No doubt in my mind. You'll be greeted by a Jewish carpenter to begin with. Who looks unlike you and me. You can't get this right here. How will you feel being greeted by a Jewish carpenter? Black folks. Indians. Just love your neighbor. Love your enemy, excuse me. Love your enemy. Now, one thing I want us to be perfectly clear is this is not an emotional love. Part of what's happened in our culture is we've made love a feeling, haven't we? We have Hallmark to thank for this, and Valentine's Day, and Christmas. It's all about emotions, precious moments. You know, the most precious moment in world history has never been made into a precious moment figurine because it's too bloody. Because you can't make a death on a cross into... A figurine. We're not commanded to feel this love. We're commanded to do 
this love. That's why Jesus says the next few commandments are these. Love. Pray. Give. Bless. Actions. All actions. You see, for Jesus, love is an action verb. As I was reading this this past week, I said, this is the passage I need to take struggling couples to when I pastor them and counsel them in their marriages. I just don't love him anymore. So you aren't acting in love anymore towards him? No, I'm not, because I don't feel it anymore. Yeah, you know how many times I don't feel love? There's lots of people. Do we act on that all the time? Or should we never act on that? You see, Jesus says you act in love towards your enemies. A little while back, hanging out with some folks who uh, asked me, you know, if, if stuff really starts going down in our country, people come to your door and they want to take stuff from you, hurt you, take your family out. What do you do? Do you grab a gun and start shooting back? And he said, I, I got problems with that. Because of this passage here. It's a super irritating passage. I'd really like to just grab a gun and start shooting at people sometimes, right? I'd like to defend myself. I'd like to defend what's mine. The trouble is, What is at the heart of this passage is who is God. You probably didn't see it in there. At the heart of this passage is not just who is God, but which God are you following? That's what is at the heart of this passage. Did you see it? Jesus snuck it in there. He snuck it in right at the end. He just kind of, in his like ninja kind of teacher master way he just sneaks it in at the very end this is all about the god you believe in in which you serve do you believe in him it's like jesus has created this uh, litmus test and it's a yucky litmus test right at the end he says Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You see, the way to be a child of the Most High God is to be kind, to love your enemies, because He does it all the time. See, this is at the crux of this passage. Which God do you believe in? Who do you serve? Now, if I believed in the God, his name is Esteban. Is my name in Spanish. My God is now Esteban. I've decided I will follow in the ways of Esteban. Esteban says, you come to my house, you take my stuff, I kill you. Esteban says... You slap me in the face, I slap you back harder. Stavon says, I will love those who love me. I will hate those who hate me. That's what Stavon, the God of Steve, says. 
My guess is that's what your God says, you know, the one that dwells within you that you fight daily. But there's this other God, the most high God, because he's bigger than Esteban. He is ruling over Esteban. He's not like the God of Esteban. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Isn't that an irritating God? Until you realize which part of that equation you're on. Then you don't feel so bad that that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. My guess is, with the new technology I've just developed where I can take, extract memories out of your mind and we can hang them up on the screen in front of us all. So, Bailey, hit the tape. He's ready to go. Uh, we got we got Sam queued up this morning. Would, would that be horrific? Would that be a terrible revelation that that kind of technology was available and that the church could wield it? That stuff you just did, thought? You, you see, all of a sudden you'd go, huh, I'm on the wicked side. I'm on the ungrateful side of this equation. And then you start to think differently. Thank God that God is kind to those kind of folk. See, as Romans puts it, while we were yet enemies of God. Some of you still are enemies of God. That's how the scriptures describe those who have not surrendered themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They are enemies of God. There is no neutral territory in this cosmos. There is no neutral territory in this world. You are either with Jesus or you ain't. That is horrible grammar. But it's true. Jesus said it, you are either for me or against me. There is no neutral territory. There is no Switzerland in this battle of the cosmos. And this here, friends, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where what we believe is played out. My guess is that gentleman, if I had turned and said, are you a Christian? At the 7-Eleven, would have said yes. I would have said, you, my friend, are dead wrong. Oh, that's so judgmental. It's not your place. In fact, the next thing, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Didn't you keep reading? Yeah, I did. I'm probably out of line. It is not my place. But I was mad. You see, he wasn't acting mercifully. That's what it says at the very end. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. In other words, are you a chip off the old block? Is God your father? Somebody else your daddy. 
kind of that question, right? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Now, to help further this case, I want us to look at one more passage. It's in Genesis chapter 1. Because if all you know is the New Testament, you don't know the New Testament. You need to know the Old Testament to get some clarity as to what is going on here. Then God said, by the way, that's the most high God that Jesus is talking about here, his daddy. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion. Now, it's an interesting verse. It says, let us make man in our image. People wonder, why is it in the plural? Is God talking to himself? Well, it's proof of the Trinity early on in the Old Testament. Possibly, but I don't think that's what's going on here. I think he's talking to the other spirit beings he's already created. You know, one we call Lucifer or Satan. One we call Michael, the archangel. I I think those beings have already been created. Why do I think that? Because it doesn't say anywhere else he created them. And they've been created, and he's saying, let us create them in our image. So he goes on, he says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps. So God created man in his own image. Now it goes to singular. So we're created in the image of God, singular. Let us create... So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Now, this has troubled theologians for millennia, so let me just solve it for you right now. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? To be created in the image of God, I believe, is not so much a noun as it is a verb. If you think it's a noun, that you have a soul, that you have conscious thinking that you have uh, you're able to communicate you're able to commune with god Um, if you think it's any of those things one of the problems with that is when you are first fertilized in your mother's womb you can't do any of that stuff you have the potential to do those things it's a lot of christians will say well they have the potential to do those things the problem is now you've fallen into the pro-choice view of abortion it has the potential to be a human therefore it's okay to abort it. So if you take that view that it's a noun, that you have the potential, then the problem is you, you've got to throw away sanctity of life in the womb. Now, if it's a verb, it's just something you do. It's just something you are. In spite of your abilities, in spite of your limitations, it doesn't matter how deformed or decrepit, how mentally challenged an individual is. Every person, even a single cell zygote in the womb, is created in the image of God. It's just, it's just what we are. It has nothing to do with what we're able to do. It's just what we are. That's what God designed us to be. That's what we are. And part of that is it's like our preposition in. And I know this is super boring grammar stuff, but that's okay. You see, when I tell you put, put, put the dishes in the sink, what am I saying? Location, right? I want you to put the dishes in the sink. We say that at our house all the time. 
And I don't think the kids know what the preposition in means. So my grammar lesson is partly for them. Sometimes we also use the word in in other ways. One of the ways we use it is, what field do you work in? Right? And if you say, I work in accounting, then we make fun of you at church. Because that was my dad's job. Or if you say, I work in farming, or I work in agriculture, or I work in government, then we throw rocks at you. Or I work in the church. Now we're using it as, this is something that I, I'm, I am. This is a, an as. I work as a pastor. I work as a government worker. I work as an accountant. I work, uh, this is something about me. It's a verb. And I think that's how this is being used here. I've been created as the image of God. You have been created as the image of God. And part of what we do, part of our work as the image of God is to image God. <laughs> Shocking, I know. It's like when God created us, the idea was that he put us on this earth, that we would run it in the way that he would run it if he were here. So if I were here, says God, how would I run it? Well, I don't need to ask the question anymore because I made my image and I stuck them all over planet earth. The trouble with the image is that the image decided to follow other gods. The image decided to image other gods. One of them is Esteban, my God. The God that likes to punch you back in the mouth when you punch me. But this is a passage about imaging God. You see, if God were to come to this earth and he were to be struck in the face, he would turn the other cheek. If God were to come on this earth and he were to live as a human, he would be beaten and not retaliate. If God were to come on this earth and live as a human, he would forgive people as they were killing him. You know, that reminds me of a story. The story that Luke told, he continued his presentation of the God-man, Jesus. And this God-man was struck in the face. <laughs> they, they put a crown of thorns on his head. God bled. Do you know how good of news it is that I wasn't God that day? Do you know how good of news it is that a Esteban wasn't in the flesh that day? Because if I had all the power, if I had the angel armies available to me, and some little gnat was mocking me, spitting in my face, pulling my beard out, punching me, whipping me. <laughs> all right, um, just so you know, you don't seem to understand who I am here. So let's just get things straight. No. When God comes to earth and puts on flesh, he loves his enemies. He blesses his enemies. He even blessed his enemies through his death. On the cross, Jesus said, forgive them, Father. He blessed them by coming to die even for them who were killing him. He prayed for them. 
And his prayers led to weeping. He was on his way into Jerusalem and he started to weep out of prayer. Oh, Lord, if only they had known who was visiting them. He wept in prayer over his enemies. And he gave. He gave his life. More than any of us have ever been asked to give an enemy. Which God are you following? Which God are you imaging? When people see you and they watch the image that you're projecting into this world, the image of the God that you proclaim and follow, which one do they see? Do they see the Most High God? Or do they see a really low counterfeit? Who do they see? We're going to dive into a bit more of this in Sunday school. Not so much the love your enemies, but more the Genesis 1 stuff. And so I encourage you, if you don't stick around for Sunday school, do today. Um, I got 22 PowerPoint slides, and I'm going to bore you to death. So... It's going to be really boring and fun and awesome. And I think, I think you'll get some out of it. So stick around for that if you could. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, these are difficult, frustrating, hard words. And they cut to the core of who we are and who we believe in and who we're following. Forgive me, Lord, that I don't like to follow you very much sometimes. That I have been a really bad imager. That I have been nothing like Christ. Lord, we thank you that the grace in this passage is that you are merciful. Thank you that you are kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Thank you that you have given your life and that you're in the process of redeeming a sinner such as me. Lord, I pray that we would take these words to heart. We would love. We would bless. We would pray. And we would give to our enemies. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you love, bless, pray, and give.